0: Hey, it's Pastor Mike. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and make it a regular part of your day, can I ask for your regular support? We really can't make any of our sermon series or devotions without the continual support of friends like you. Time of Grace, in case you didn't know, is 100% donor funded, meaning it is your gifts that make it possible for us to use television and print and digital media to share the good news of God's amazing grace. Just click on the link in the episode notes and thank you for all of your prayers and all of your support. God bless. Suicide, abortion, homosexuality, pornography, divorce, politics, race. Talking about these hot-button issues is terrifying, but burying our heads in the sand just won't help. That's why in my brand new book, Taboo, Topics Christians Should Be Talking About But Don't, I try to address these very issues with respect, vulnerability, and especially an open Bible. Not talking is not helping. But together, you and I can step into the taboo and share God's grace with a world that desperately needs to hear his truth. When I was born back in 1980 here in Wisconsin, in the United States of America, out of every 10 Americans surveyed, nine of them claimed to be Christian. Now that I'm middle-aged, Uh, here in my 40s and 2020s America. It is no longer, according to research done by the Pew Research Center, nine in 10 Americans, and it's not eight in 10 Americans, it's not even seven in 10 Americans, but just six in 10 Americans, most of them older, claim to be Christian. They say if the trends continue and if I live uh, the average lifespan, it won't be six, it'll be five, if not four. In one man's lifetime, America will have gone from a supermajority, nine out of ten people identifying as followers of Jesus, to a numerical minority, just four out of ten. Now think about that for a second. That wasn't a survey about whether people go to church every Sunday. It wasn't, do you make it when the kids don't have stuff on the weekends? Do you show up on Christmas and Easter? These were just people saying, I religiously identify as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian. And from nine to six, perhaps trending all the way down to five or four. I'm curious, have you noticed that too? Maybe as you think about your own family tree, the difference between religious passion, between grandparents and then parents, and then you, and maybe your children, have you noticed uh, the trend the trending away from Jesus? Maybe can you think, uh Did your grandma have a Bible next to her bed? She was at church or at mass every single Sunday. But then with your mom or your dad or your aunts or your uncles, you know, some of them stayed religious and some of them kind of drifted away from all that. Or maybe in your own family, uh, your mom or dad were all about Jesus, all about church. Faith was a part of their life, saying prayers before bed, saying grace before meals. And now as you think about you and your brother, your sister, your family, uh, maybe a couple are still Passionate about such things, and a couple definitely are not, and a handful are somewhere in the middle. Uh, I've seen it in my own family tree. Uh, I wonder if you've seen it in yours. Or maybe that's your story, or the person you're married to, or the children you are raising, or the guy that you're dating. Older generations being much more religious, younger generations much less so. In fact, if you look at uh, American members of Generation Z, about, I don't know, 25 and under, it, it's nowhere near six in 10. It's not even five in 10. You'd be shocked if it was four, perhaps just three in 10 young Americans claim to be followers of Jesus. And it makes me want to ask this huge question What happened? I mean, what changed to go from nine all the way down to? Six, perhaps five or even four, why would people not just walk away from, you know, every Sunday church, but walk away from Jesus himself? And if we had time, we could probably explore the many, many answers to that question, right? There's been television pastors who have hustled people out of money in Jesus' name. There's been scandals in the Catholic church, stuff that was covered up with parish priests, There's been man-made rules and just boring church services that people don't make sense, feels like they're just going through the motions. There's all kinds of reasons why you and the people you love maybe stepped away from church. But there's, there's one reason I want to talk about today that maybe you haven't considered. As I think about the Bible, it's maybe the biggest reason why people are not interested in Jesus or stop following Jesus or give up on the Christian faith. And that thing is the unfiltered Jesus. I'd love for you to write this down. I think the biggest reason why people today and throughout history have walked away is because of the unfiltered Jesus is offensive. And by that, I mean, if you don't edit Jesus, if you don't, like, pick and choose your favorite parts of Jesus, if you just read who Jesus actually was and what Jesus actually said in the recorded gospels, you cannot avoid the fact that he was scandalously offensive. I think the biggest problem Americans have with Christianity today is not the pastor, even though pastors can be a problem. It's not the priest, it's not the rituals, it's not the right. I, I think the biggest offense is Jesus. Here's why I say that. I, uh, Stole slash borrowed this giant coffee filter that many of you appreciate here at church when we give you coffee for free. Uh, think of what a filter does. A filter, whether we're talking about a coffee filter or a furnace filter or a filter for the car you drove here to church, or a filter on your phone or your favorite pictures, a filter takes what something actually is and turns it into what you want it to be. Is that an accurate definition? A filter takes the actual thing and transforms it into a thing that you prefer. So you know, the actual thing is a bunch of coffee grounds, super mushy, and a bunch of water that you probably don't want to slurp up off the bottom of your coffee cup, so we use a filter. We take what it actually is, and we turn it into this flavored caffeinated drink, the thing we want it to be Uh, in your furnace filter. There's a bunch of dust, stuff floating around with the air that you want, so you put a filter in, so we take out all the bad stuff and we end up with just the kind of air that we would prefer to breathe. How many of you use Snapchat in the room? Yeah, a bunch of Snapchat filters we take. <laughs> I got to admit, I must be old because I just don't get it. Yeah, we, we take an actual picture of a person and we can give them like a giant mouth or make them look like they're 100 years old and my daughters love this kind of stuff. We take what a person actually looks like and we use a filter to turn them into what we want them to look like. Filters take what is and transform it into a version that we prefer. And every single day, people are tempted to do the same thing with Jesus. right? I want to take the parts of Jesus that I like, that make me feel good, maybe the parts like, he's with me, he forgives me, he has time for me, he can rescue me. He can heal this cancer. I'm, I'm gonna cry. I want a Jesus who gets me to heaven and watches over me on earth. But sometimes we are very, very tempted to filter out the parts of Jesus that are not so easy to swallow. And that's why I'm happy that you're here. Uh, starting today and for the next few weeks, we are going to meet the unfiltered Jesus. Like the OG, original, unedited, unadulterated. I'm not going to share with you Pastor Mike's personal thoughts or our church's favorite quotes. We're just going to read the things that Jesus actually said. No filters allowed in church. And it is going to be probably, I think, maybe two months of the most offensive church services you've ever been at. (laughs) Are you happy you came today? (laughs) If it's your first time, I've already apologized to a bunch of people. Like, hold hold on. (laughs) Like, change that belt a notch. But... Here's why I want to do that. Two reasons. Even though I can kind of anticipate a bunch of you being offended, maybe some of you not coming back, I think you have the right to know who Jesus actually was. Right? Whether you believe in him or are done with him, I don't think you should come to a Christian church and be surprised by him. I don't want you to actually pick up a Bible a year from now after coming to church every Sunday and say, What? (laughs) If I'm going to be a faithful Christian, I should probably not filter Christ. So, for the next few weeks, I'm going to give you Jesus with all of his cringy sayings, with all of his rough edges, with with all the times he just makes you want to walk out the door. I'm going to give you the real Jesus. You have a right to know who he was and what he actually said. And at the same time as we're listening to Jesus, I want to show you why some people, despite the offense, stuck with him. Like, if Jesus in almost every sermon was just dropping bombs that made the majority of people walk away, what was it about him that made some people stay? And why would you? Now, if Jesus with his words is just going to smack you around and try to change you and call you to repentance and change your direction and your hopes and your dreams and your truth. Like, why, why would you stick with him? So we're going to explore the really hard things about Jesus and the beautiful things that make people give up everything to follow him, live for him, and believe in him. So if you're ready for that, there's uh, probably no better place to start than the, the single sermon where Jesus was so offensive that if my math is right, 99.7% of his church left. Can you imagine? If I preach a sermon and there are hundreds of you here today, and by the time I sit, you know, throughout the sermon, a bunch of you are just popping up and leaving until two two of you, (laughs) what would I have to say to make all the rest of you leave? Did you know that in the Gospel of John, that's exactly what happened to Jesus? Here's the story. Um, Jesus is starting to grow in popularity. A few people turns into a few dozen, a few hundred, and one day, thousands of people are there interested in Jesus. Um, the way that he speaks, the miracles that he does. The Bible says that 5,000 men plus the women plus the children were all gathered around to hear Jesus and that is when Jesus decided to pull off his most numerical miracle. What the Bible calls the feeding of the 5,000. Huge crowd is there. No one has anything to eat. So Jesus takes this kid's, like, lunchbox, has some bread, has some fish in it, and he says, you get a fish, and you get a fish, and you get a fish, and here's some bread. Somebody's, like, multiplying this little kid's meal until 5,000-plus people are totally satisfied. They're stuffed, and they pick up the leftovers. And the people realize, oh, wait, if Jesus can do that, if Jesus wants to do that, If he has the power to do miracles and the love to do miracles for us, it's a unanimous vote and they want Jesus to be their king. So they track Jesus down. Uh, They end up finding him in a nearby synagogue in the ancient city of Capernaum. And there, as they're gathered, ready to put the crown on top of his head, Jesus breaks out in a sermon that makes almost all of them walk out the door. Here's what he said. Or in John chapter 6, Jesus said to the crowds, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So the crowds find Jesus, who multiplied the bread, and Jesus says, hey, I know why you're looking for me. It's because you ate the bread and I filled you up. But come on, let's be honest. I could fill you up today and by breakfast, you're going to be hungry again. How about you work, come after me, not just for some temporary meal, but for some kind of bread or food that endures forever. And the people are super interested. You they were busting their backs in Galilean fields to try to feed their families. Now, Jesus says he's just going to give them this bread for free. They cry out to him, please, Jesus, give us the bread you're talking about. And here's how he responds. He says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him, of God, who sent me. Now to you, that probably seems like a really beautiful thing for Jesus to say. You want bread? It's me. Believe in me, God sent me from heaven so your soul would never be thirsty, so your heart would never be hungry. He sent me to fill you up in the most beautiful spiritual way that seems, maybe at first glance, to be a super amazing offer from Jesus, but there was, there was actually one word in that quote that made everyone cringe. Did you catch it? Heaven. Heaven. Look at the reaction, just a verse later. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? <laughs> How could he now say, I came down from heaven? Heaven? <laughs> Wait, Jesus, come on. Don't we know who your dad is? It's Joseph, right? Didn't my cousin grow up next to you and your mom? It's, it's Mary. Isn't that her name? What, you, think you, you think you came down from heaven? Come on, Jesus. I'm from earth. He's from earth. She's from earth. And you are from earth. Who do you think? You think you're some angel that floated down from above? You think you're above us, better than us? They grumbled among themselves. Who does Jesus think he is? from heaven. This is the first incredibly offensive thing about Jesus. I I want you to write it down. The reason that Jesus is so offensive is because Jesus is authoritative. Uh, Jesus does not claim to be your equal, but to be your superior. He's not just some guy who maybe has a little bit of wisdom to share or things to suggest that you believe, it's not like you and Jesus. He says, you are from earth, and I'm from heaven. You think, according to the wisdom of man, I was sent from God. So if you think this, and I think this, guess who's wrong, and guess who's right? Every time, Jesus says, I'm right. Every time you disagree with me, you're wrong. Every time you read something I say and you cringe, you don't like it or you disagree with it, it's not because I have something to learn. It's because you do. You are from earth. I'm from heaven. My job is to speak Your job is to submit. And the crowd did not like that. How about you? I'm not sure if it's just me, but uh, my heart has a huge problem with actual authority. I think I like the concept of authority on paper, but in real life, I get very moody about it. Like the government. All right, I've studied the history of countries that don't have a real government. I would not want to step foot in those places. I would not want to raise my daughters in those places. I love the idea of some structure with power and authority that can give me security and safety. I love that idea. Until, until the government says something to me that I don't like, until I don't agree with what the president or the Congress mandates anyone. Who do you think you are mandating me? This is the land of the free and the home of I'm going to do what I want because I have the right. Right? something within us. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I don't, care what, I don't care how many people voted for you. You either do what I want or I will, I will loathe you deep in my heart. or think of something as small as uh, sports. On paper, I love referees. I really do. (laughs) I've played soccer games where, like, the ref can't make it, and everyone says, let's just play without a referee. Always a bad idea. Always a bad idea. It gets so dramatic. So I love the idea that there's someone there that has authority a whistle in his mouth, a card in his back pocket that can stop some beefy defender from snapping these skinny legs of your pastor, all right? I love that. I love it until... till the whistle's coming in my direction. And then... no. Then the grumbling Mike, the moody Mike, the what-are-you-thinking Mike agrees. I like authority that agrees with me. I don't like authority that doesn't. Kids love the concept of parents, what, well, there are one or two people who will, like, pay for my house? Who will buy the food and then make it for me? One, two, three times a day? <laughs> or get, or get, buy me a phone, help pay for my car insurance. Like, kids love the concept of that until, right, until the curfew or the screen time or put the Xbox controller down or because I said so, and then, who do you think you are? And it's not just toddlers and it's not just teenagers. It's all of us. We, we hate it when someone tells us what to do. Did you hear not long ago, um, out of all the, the media that our church produces, we had our first ever piece of truly viral internet content? You hear about this? It was a little one-minute clip where I was encouraging husbands to be like Jesus. Like, husbands, love your wives. Like, don't put more time into your fantasy football team. Study her, listen to her, and love her like Jesus loves his church. It turns out that little one-minute clip was liked and shared by over 50,000 people viewed multiple millions of times, mostly by female Instagram users. <laughs> Very soon after, in fact, just a few days after, we, we published the other part of that sermon, And guess what was not liked and shared? (laughs) Why, Why is that? Because deep down, come on, all of us want the government and the referees and our parents and our pastors and our spouses and everyone just to do what we want. And when they don't, in fact, when they don't just disagree with us, but when they claim that we have to, when they tell us to obey, to change, to submit, to repent, uh, that brings out the monster in us. And I I just got to be up front with you. This is how Jesus is. If you want to be a Christian or become a Christian, he's not just going to offer you a few thoughts. To be a Christian means to call him Lord, King, and God God. It means to bend your knee and submit. It means to read the Bible, and every time it bothers you to say, I must be wrong because he's God. My parents must have taught me wrong because he's God. The way I've been thinking about this, the way nine out of 10 of my friends believe about this, we all must be wrong because Jesus is God. He doesn't suggest, he preaches. He has no interest in being your on-call counselor or your occasional life coach. He is either the Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. Offended? Because he's not done. (laughs) Look what happens next in John 6. Stop grumbling among yourselves. Jesus answered, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Oh, Jesus takes the filter off. He is as graphic and blunt and black and white as offensive. He says, unless you come to me, believe in me, eat and drink of me, unless my flesh and blood are in you, you have no life. It is categorically impossible for you to have a spiritual life with God or a future life in heaven unless you have me. Now it might sound like Jesus is talking about the sacrament of communion, or if you think of that, eat, drink, body, blood. But that doesn't, he hasn't invented that yet, instituted that yet. He, He seems to be saying, just like your body needs to eat and drink to have life, so also your soul needs to eat and drink of me If you don't have Jesus in flesh and blood, Jesus giving his flesh and shedding his blood, you have no life that counts with God. It's actually a brilliant metaphor. Now, think of your body for a second. Um, Your body, as complex and amazing as it is, has one huge flaw. It dies without outside help. Ever thought of that? You might be the strongest person in church right now, you might be the most beautiful person watching at home, but the way your body is, it's impossible for your body to produce its own calories to survive. Unless daily bread comes from the outside, unless food and drink feeds you from the outside, from inside of you, you will die. Right? Why do people starve or dehydrate? because their bodies are incapable of producing what they actually need to live. You need bread, Jesus says, or you're dead. And in the same way, here's this unfiltered claim, he says your soul, like the spiritual part of you, is absolutely incapable of producing what it needs to live with God. Now you can think for a long time, you can try your best, you can work hard to be a good person, but what is within you is, is as capable as living with God as your body is surviving without food. Jesus says, your body needs bread and your soul needs me. And without me, flesh and blood, me, living, dying on a cross and rising, you have no life. There's no other way. This is the second offensive thing Jesus said it i love for you to write this down. The essential Jesus is offensive. He's saying, yep, I don't just come with authority, but I'm not optional. If you want to pray and have God listen, I am essential. If you want to die and not go to hell, I am essential. If you want God to be for you and not absolutely against you because of your sin, I am Essential. You can walk away if you want, but sooner or later you will die and your death will be eternal. Jesus said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. And that's when everyone left. John is honest about the reaction. He says in chapter 6, on hearing it, this teaching, Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. The megachurch was over. The crowd cleared out. They stacked up the chairs because the unfiltered, authoritative, essential Jesus was just too offensive. So, I guess that begs a big question for you. What will you do? This was a hard teaching, was it not? Will you no longer follow him? Is this the last time I will see you in church? Are you reaching for the remote right now at home? You know, why? If Jesus is going to tell you to change, to repent, that you're wrong. If he's going to ask you to stand by this book, even if your friends think you're dumb or backwards or something phobic, why would you stick with him? Why wouldn't you join the increasing masses of Americans who say, "No, no, no, no." Maybe that's for grandma, but not for me. Well, there's an answer in John chapter six to that question. Uh, it's an answer that I heard in a very interesting way with a former drug addict. A couple months ago, I was wandering around our church neighborhood saying some prayers, and I stumbled across this collector's shop, which caught my interest. See, when I was a kid, I was a huge collector. Baseball cards, football cards, hockey cards, basketball cards, all the cards, starting lineups, um, Star Wars action figures. I had boxes and boxes and boxes of it. I love collecting things, so I walk in, and I meet this guy, I'll call him Rick, and I find out that he was a collector and I used to be a collector. Some in the conversation, we both found out that addiction was part of our past, and so it's a really honest, open conversation. And we ended up talking about the most expensive thing in our collection that we ever held in our hands. I told him the story back when I was in middle school. I'm in a card shop in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I open this pack, and what is staring back at me but the golden face of Shaquille O'Neal. Yep. Shaq's rookie year, I don't just pull the card, but a gold version of the card. The shop collector opens up the tail and gives me a 100 bucks on the spot. Boom. And this guy says, I had something way better than that. He tells me about these rare baseball cards he has, a Derek Jeter and an Alex Rodriguez that were worth not hundreds, but thousands of dollars. And I asked him, oh, man, do you still have them? (laughs) He laughed and shook his head. No. This one day I was high and I traded both of them for a cheeseburger. (laughs) All we could do is laugh. Like he literally had something. So, so valuable, but... In an emotional moment where he wasn't thinking straight, he gave up something so good for something so small. If you had to ask me, why not bail on Jesus? I think I'd just repeat that story. If you have Jesus, you have something in your hands who is so valuable. And what you will get for living for yourself by your rules, your truth, your what you will get for a comfortable life of doing whatever you want is so small compared to what Jesus is freely putting into your hands today. In fact, in the midst of all his offensive things, you might have missed the incredible things that Jesus said. Let me show you up on the screen this list of promises that I found right here in John chapter 6. Jesus said, I will give you food that endures to eternal life. God sent me for you, not other people, not better people, for you. You will never go hungry. You will never be thirsty. I won't drive you away. I won't lose you. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your baggage. Jesus says, come to me. I won't won't stiff arm you and say you're not good enough. I will accept the worst sinner in this room, and once I have you, I won't lose you. I won't let death take you from me. I won't let cancer. I won't let job loss or divorce or struggles with anxiety or depression. I won't even let your own sin. I won't lose you. Instead, I will raise you up on the last day. He says, you will. You will have eternal life. I'll teach you, and you will live forever. You will live because of me. I've chosen you. You catch what Jesus is offering? Not, Not some expensive Baseball card, not thousands of dollars. He's offering you forever with God. He's offering you the happiness of heaven. He's offering to be there to advocate and save you on the judgment day. He's offering you a path to defeat death. He's saying, I will take everything that's wrong with you and nail it to the cross. I, yes, you will have to give up much to follow me. You will have to take up a cross and deny yourself. You will have to acknowledge me as your ultimate authority, but here is what I am offering to you. Eternity. Forever. You can walk if you want to, Jesus says. But don't walk away from forever. Here is how I would describe the real Jesus. It's the last thing I am asking you to write down today. I think we learned from John chapter 6 that the unfiltered Jesus is so offensive, (laughs) unbelievably offensive, but he is so worth it. There is a reason why lots of people walk, but there is a compelling reason for you to stay. So before I say amen and see what you do next, let me say two final things. Uh, First, I'd like to speak to those of you who are under 30. And second, I'd like to tell you the story of one of Jesus' best friends. So, hands nice and high. Who in the room today is under 30 years old? Yeah, a whole bunch of you, maybe half of you, a third of you. Uh, i want to be super, super upfront with you that it will probably be harder for you to stick with Jesus than it has been for me. If it's true that when I was born, nine out of 10 people said, Jesus is good and church is good and the Bible is good, I had a lot of people telling me to stay with Jesus was good. But now, as you make friends, as you date people, it it is increasingly likely that they will not say that. That they will tell you it's time to close this book and step away from places like this, that we are the problem and not the solution. I, I need to be honest with you, that with your friends and your family, this might be harder than it was for your grandparents or your parents. All of us want to be encouraged and accepted, and there will be much less encouragement and acceptance for your generation. Uh, God could change the trends in a second, but if he doesn't, there's going to be fewer and fewer people applauding as you stand beneath the cross of Jesus. But when that moment comes, there's just one word Um, I hope you can remember in your head, eternal. In the Gospel of John, this is a word that Jesus repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats. He offends, he offends, he drops bombs, but he always comes back to this word, eternal, eternal, eternal. Your friends might applaud, but what I'm giving you is eternal. They might give you a job, they might like your posts online, but what I'm offering you is life, That is eternal. When you feel like the hot sun of people's disapproval, please, I'm begging you to remember that no one on this earth can offer you what is eternal, but Jesus can. And if you don't bail on him, if you don't reject or deny him, he will give you life that lasts forever. Please do not trade a priceless treasure for a cheeseburger. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You know, some people think when Jesus invited Peter and James and John and the apostles to follow him, they might have just been teenagers. Do you know that? Might have been a bunch of 18-year-olds looking back at Jesus while the grown-ups walk away. And that's why Jesus asked them a pretty candid question. John chapter 6 says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked. Simon Peter, always the first guy in the room to talk, <laughs> he answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of, can you say it with me, eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Yeah, Jesus, that was a hard teaching. Where are we going to (laughs) go? To some Pharisee who makes it easy? Uh, He can't offer me eternity. But we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God who makes sinners like us holy enough for God. Friends, Jesus is the bread of life. So offensive and so worth it. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, I'm thinking of my daughters right now. Um, They're here every Sunday, but a time is coming when they won't be in the back seat as mom and dad drive them to church. There's going to come a time when they're going to have to make their own decision about whether you're worth it, whether you're worthy. And and I pray that you would do in their hearts what I can so that you would give them the kind of faith faith that can see ahead into their eternal future and believe that heaven is so much better, that Jesus is so much better, that you are always worth it no matter what you cost us. Oh, Father, there are people on planet earth right now who are suffering fierce persecution. They are losing their jobs. Some of them are losing their heads because they believe that Jesus is worth it. I pray right now that you would give to all of us who are here today and especially to Christians and people here in America that same conviction, that no matter what it costs us, no matter how hard this gets, whether we're the only one in the room, if you actually gave up your life for us to forgive every sin, then you must be worth it. Um, God, the truth is, it's pretty fun for us to get what we want and it's miserable for our hearts when we don't. And so we need you to open our eyes to actually believe at the end of the day, whatever we have to say no to within us, When we say yes to Jesus, it is always the best choice. Give us that kind of faith, God, to see you, to trust you, and to sing with all the saints and angels of heaven, worthy and holy is the name of Jesus. It's because of him that we pray all these things. And all God's people said, amen. What a great sermon today from Pastor Mike about loving Jesus as he is, authoritative and yet offensive to our sinful nature, but worth it. This month, we're offering a special resource from Pastor Mike called Taboo, topics Christians should be talking about, but don't. This one-stop resource offers biblical truth on challenging topics like suicide, depression, anxiety, gender, and so much more. Request your copy with your financial gift to Time of Grace. Suicide, abortion, homosexuality, pornography, divorce, politics, race. Talking about these hot-button issues is terrifying, but burying our heads in the sand just won't help. That's why in my brand new book, Taboo, Topics Christians Should Be Talking About But Don't, I try to address these very issues with respect, vulnerability, and especially an open Bible. Not talking is not helping. But together, you and I can step into the taboo and share God's grace with a world that desperately needs to hear his truth. Taboo, Topics Christians Should Be Talking About But Don't, is our way of thanking you for your financial support. Request yours today by calling 800-661-3311, visiting timeofgrace.org or writing us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201. Do you ever wonder if you're saved? Or what saved even means? Or what God is like? Or what Jesus did? Some people are embarrassed to ask these really basic questions, but please don't be. They're the most important questions you could ever ask. And that's why I want to give you a brand new copy of this little book I wrote called The Basics. Uh, You can get your paper copy or your digital copy or your audio copy or your video version just by going to timeofgrace.org slash the basics. Time of Grace doesn't end here. Visit timeofgrace.org and explore encouraging resources or sign up for a daily email and have everything delivered right to your inbox. Like our Grace Moments devotions, Grace Talks devotional videos, blog, and podcasts. Follow us on social media, where you'll find a supportive Christian community. Do you need prayer? Contact us and let us know what's on your heart. Thank you so much for your support. See you next week on Time of Grace.